Welcome to Central Speaks, home of our weekly podcast. Central Speaks is produced by Hamilton Central Baptist Church. What do you plan to do with the rest of your life? There's a, a lot of talk, a lot of chatter these days as we emerge from the ravages of a global pandemic about how the world as we have known it may never be the same again. Uh, For a period of months, we've been forced to stop our normal routines. We hadn't planned to do so and few had really prepared for it, but we just had to stop. Life didn't happen along the way we were used to. And one of the interesting consequences of stopping has been, I guess, an inevitable evaluation as to whether all the things that filled our day pre the pandemic were really worth it. I mean, air pollution in crowded cities uh, has decreased dramatically. That's a good thing. Uh, Fuel consumption has plummeted as we couldn't drive our cars and uh, discretionary spending on unnecessary luxuries simply stopped. Well, while we're yet to realise the full impact on our global and local economies, the effect of life stopping during this pandemic has actually given many people on planet Earth cause to pause, to uh, evaluate life and values and what's really most important. Do we simply you know, throw the circuit breaker and start up life again as it was before? Or is this an opportunity to reset our future course? I mean, when it comes to accounting for what most people spend their time doing during the course of a lifetime, there have been some rather interesting calculations. One study suggests that in the course of a typical lifetime in a Western country like ours, people spend six months sitting at stoplights. Eight months opening junk mail, Uh, one year looking for misplaced objects, Uh, two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls, and four years doing housework, five years waiting in line, and six years eating. Uh, Someone else put it like this. They said, when as a child I laughed and wept, time crept. When as a youth I dreamed and talked, time walked. When I became a full-grown man, time ran, and later, as I older grew, time flew. Soon, I'll find, while travelling on, time gone. Well, well, over recent decades, a whole industry has emerged around the the subject of time management. Uh, Life is pressured and time is of the essence. So what can we do with what we have to uh, achieve the maximum results? Uh, Among the the time management gurus, Stephen Covey suggests that instead of starting with a clock or a calendar, our key instrument really ought to be a compass. In other words, the the key issue to settle is not so much what we do with our time as the question of where we we want to be and, and is that ultimately what we're doing taking us in that direction. Organising our diary is a secondary issue to thinking through where we actually want to head in life. Another life management theory uses the analogy of a, of a glass jug as a representation of a person's life and into the jug go a selection of, of rocks and pebbles and sand that represent the various elements and, and life commitments that make up a person's life. And the best strategy, according to this theory, is to put the big rocks in the jar first. 
having got the big rocks of life direction placed in the jar, the smaller rocks in the sand of everyday decisions find their place around major goals that we've set for ourselves. So as our world emerges from this enforced rest during a global pandemic, it's a natural opportunity to reevaluate what those big rocks in our jar need to be. You know, when it comes to time management theory, Jesus had some profound advice to offer. In fact, Jesus' strategy for life management is remarkably relevant at a time like this as we evaluate what we want to do and be for the rest of our lives. In Matthew's biography on the life of Jesus, there's that famous talk that he gave to a crowd of people sitting on a hillside. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, the 5th, 6th, and 7th chapters of the Gospel of Matthew. And right in the middle of that is a short statement that nails the issue of of compass direction in the life of a Jesus follower. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, he said, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, put God and his kingdom first and foremost in your life, and all the other issues that that concern or, or consume our energy, our attention, all of that will naturally fall into place. Well, of course, the context in which Jesus made this statement is interesting. To understand any singular verse in the Bible, we need to consider it within its wider context. And in this instance, in the surrounding verses, Jesus has been talking about how God can be totally dependent upon to provide for our needs. He is faithful and someone in whom we can put our complete trust or, or confidence. In fact, for, for many people coming out of a global pandemic uh, and a lockdown where they may have lost their source of income or perhaps be, be anxious about how they'll survive financially in the, the year ahead, Jesus' advice here is actually remarkably relevant. If you go a few verses before Matthew 6, 33, verse 26, Jesus suggests, you know, have a look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and, well, are you not much more valuable than they? And then if you go to verse 28, he says, Why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin, and yet I tell you that not even Solomon, in all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. But if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? Jesus' point? In the hierarchy of God's creative order, we are far more important to God than birds and field flowers. They're here today and gone tomorrow, and Yet God cares for and tends to their needs with incredible detail. They don't fret and worry and strive extra hard to meet their own needs. They simply carry on in the pursuit of how God made them to be, and I guess they leave their provision in his hands. Or Jesus' point was, if that's how God cares for birds and lilies, how much more will he care for us? Put God and his kingdom first in your life, And watch how all the other issues that dominate our focus or threaten our sleep fall into place. 
Yeah, there are some wonderful life principles that we can extrapolate here from Jesus' advice. Let me suggest at least three. And the first one is this. Jesus was talking here about values. Living in a pluralistic society, what is our frame of reference in determining right from wrong? We live in an age where a lot of historical social norms and ethical boundaries are quite frankly all up for grabs. The the, the goalposts on normal or acceptable behavior are, are, are shifting. That there are those who proclaim, for instance, that the only absolute in life these days is the fact that there are no absolutes. You can believe what you want, you can do what you want, and if it feels okay to you, then it must be okay. Uh, We're told we have to be tolerant of anything and everything except intolerance. Uh, Western society has uh, a diminishing set of fixed values that help govern or, or help us determine right from wrong, and if in fact there is now anything that is unilaterally classed as wrong. Well, this might not be the best news that you hear today, but increasingly, I would predict, we followers of Jesus are heading into conflict with the dominant worldview of our society. I mean, if we take the Bible seriously, we increasingly live by different values to the the rest of our world. We see life through a a different grid. Our, Our paradigm, our perception of normality is increasingly counter to our culture. And the Bible has important language for this. It says that we no longer are merely citizens of this world. We are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And, of course, whenever there's a clash of values between the ways of God's kingdom and how the Bible teaches us to live and believe, uh, compared to the popular views of our culture, well, Jesus encourages us to Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. To follow Jesus implies a radical transformation in the way we approach life. A follower of Jesus is not just someone who has made a a minor adjustment to his or her life. They've actually made a radical and a complete reorientation of the axis on which their life rotates. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, Paul talks of becoming a Christian as like a, a change of ownership. He uses the phrase, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. So, so when it comes to the values that drive us, we are not the ones who determine our destiny anymore. We no longer live according to human or cultural values that we've grown up with. We live instead by God's values. Before we became a Christian, we were fundamentally in control of what we did with our lives. We we made our own decisions. We determined our future according to what we believed to be best. We, We sat, as it were, on our own throne and we ruled. The the act of becoming a follower of Jesus is therefore essentially an act of abdication. We stepped down from the throne. We invited Jesus to become our king. And that's what it really means to belong to the kingdom of God. In the age in which we live, the values of the kingdom of God and his definition of righteousness are becoming increasingly different to the values of the kingdoms of this world. 
uh, definitions on things like sexuality or uh, gender identity or marriage in our world, that they're increasingly blurred. Uh, Unwanted pregnancies and inconvenient old people, they can be terminated. Uh, Prostitution is a a legal industry right next door to where we live. Uh, High school balls provide condoms for safe sex afterwards, or pre- or extramarital sex is believed to be more normal than not. And, well, as for gambling, that's become an encouraged means of fundraising to help our society care for the poor. So, So day by day, followers of Jesus have to make choices and decisions about whose values we're going to live by. So at a moment of resetting for our new normal post-pandemic, it it might be a moment to decide whether we're going to live according to the values of the world in which we live, or are we choosing to live and behave according to values of God's kingdom and his definitions of righteousness? Back in uh, 1896, in his steps... It's written by Reverend Charles M. Sheldon, the first edition of a book that went on to sell more than 30 million copies and has been translated into 15 different languages. And he told the story of a, a small church where uh, the people made a Solomon covenant with God. In, in every situation in life that they encountered, they had to make a decision or a choice that w- they would stop and consider first what Jesus would do were he in their situation. And the principle behind it was simple. In whatever sphere of life or society, be it business or education or justice or or property development or health or media or retail or finance or transportation or wherever, when a choice or a direction needs to be made, what would Jesus do if he were faced with the same circumstances. In other words, they got the big rocks in the jar first, before the pebbles and the sand began to fill up life. The resolve was made to live according to God's paradigm, rather than the values of the world in which they were a part. Well, I I think that is something of what it actually means to seek first the kingdom of God. Then a second principle from this little verse in Matthew 6, verse 33, Jesus was talking about faith. He was talking about trusting in God's ability to provide what we need. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And and based on the context, when, when Jesus said these words, the definition of all these things was the basic necessities of life. Things like food and clothing and shelter and security. And the principle is clear. God is no man's debtor. When we put him first and foremost in our life, his response is to meet all our basic needs. I wonder if when Jesus said this, he had in mind perhaps what might it might eventually cost some people to follow him. When we, we make choices to live by the standards and values of God's kingdom, there are going to be times when we disadvantage ourselves in the world in which we live, especially in terms of material comfort and financial gain. For, for instance, 
that the driving paradigm in our society isn't it the acquisition of more and more material possessions? Isn't it the case that success in life is is often measured in financial terms, how much we own or how much we earn? Oftentimes, moral scruples get swept aside in the pursuit of acquiring more. But living within the kingdom of God, well, our, our values are quite different to that. For, for the Christian, chasing after wealth, that can actually be a trap that can derail our relationship with God. There, there are eternal values that outweigh material comfort or possessions in this world. Living by the values and standards of God's kingdom may mean, well, we pay a little more to the tradesman who honestly writes out an invoice and charges us the goods and services tax that the government requires him to pay, rather than taking the cheaper deal from the guy who wants cash under the table. Or living by the values and standards of God's kingdom may mean that we refuse the promotion at work that offers higher salary, better financial prospects, but also costs unrealistic time away from the family or leaves us with no opportunity for service for God. There are times when putting God first makes us wonder how on earth we are ever going to survive financially. I mean, if I, if I do things God's way and if I give him, say, the first 10% of what I earn, how, how on earth am I going to provide for my family and put food on the table or clothes on their backs? Or if I go and serve God in the way that I sense he might be nudging me, how will I meet my mortgage commitments or provide for my children's education or for retirement years? To which Jesus replies, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, put God and his values first and then watch him provide for you the things that you cannot provide for yourself. In Luke chapter 18, verses 29 and 30, there's the record of these words of Jesus when he says, I tell you the truth, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Putting God first in our lives, well, it sometimes means living life on the edge. When we begin to obey the sense of God's leading, we may not be able to see how we'll survive. But as we step out in obedience, God's unforeseen provision rolls right around the corner. And then a third life principle, I think Jesus was talking here about ambition. I mean, whenever I read this verse, it, it, it forces me to ask the question, well, where does God fit within my dreams and my ambitions for the future? How important really is he to me? And if I claim that he's number one, well, could that claim be substantiated by an independent audit of my life and the way I manage my time and resources? I mean, to be under the lordship of Jesus means that he heads our priorities. God doesn't play second fiddle. He made that point explicitly clear in 
way back in Exodus chapter 20 in the Ten Commandments when he described himself as a, a, a jealous God. He will be second to no one or no thing. In every facet or, or segment of our lives, God is to come first. Before our marriage, before comfort, before our family, before career, before financial prosperity, before sport, before leisure and recreation, everything. Well, we'll no doubt that there are myriads of ways that we can apply this principle of putting God first in our ambitions. And I'm sure you can think of lots of examples yourself. I mean, for many years and, and still from time to time, I used to set my alarm clock to ring at Matthew 6.33. <laughs> Uh, that way, the first thing I wanted to be reminded of as I awoke was God and his priority in my life. But let, let me tell you some real-life stories of how people that I've known over the years have taken specific action to live by God's values and ambitions and to put his kingdom first in their lives. Firstly, there was a, a young man entering tertiary education. He'd finished high school and he was planning out the future career path that he wanted to take. He had uh, considerable academic ability and he could have chosen from any number of careers that would probably have made him quite comfortable and wealthy. However, as, as a young person, at the end of his high school education, r rather than just choosing his own career path, he actually sought the Lord for God's plan for his future. He sensed a long-term call to the mission field to work amongst the poor. Before he settled on a course of study, therefore, he went and spoke with key people in the field of world mission, asking them about the kind of tertiary qualifications that would be most useful for him in the future. In other words, rather than just choose any course of study that took his fancy, now, as a citizen of God's kingdom, he wanted God to direct his path. Not only did he study for a professional qualification, he also structured his university degree to include papers towards a theological degree as well that would make him even more equipped for what God has in store for his future. There was another young man with a professional qualification and a, a very good job, actually, in an international company. His uh, future career prospects were, were, were quite rosy, and in the natural order of our world, he had a lot going for him. But over a period of years, he began to sense a special call on his life to ministry with young people. He wanted to make his life really count for the Lord, and so he negotiated with his company to work only part-time for them and to give two days a week to work for Jesus. Now, this involved a, a considerable drop in financial income, and there were many people who couldn't quite understand why he wanted to do such a thing. But, you see, first and foremost in his life, he said, were the eternal values of God's kingdom rather than the fleeting riches and pleasures that he could earn. Then there was another couple who had a burden and a calling on their lives to be surrogate parents to young people who were living away from home for the first time. The, uh, the, the, the burden that they carried was, was one that, that God had given them and they believed it was from him and they had special ability from the Holy Spirit in the area of, of hospitality. So well, what did they do? Well, putting God first in his kingdom, uh, first in their lives, involved selling their house, 
buying a new one that they could then modify into a home uh, for themselves, but also to be a hostel for half a dozen young people. Now, by the standards of this world, they were crazy. They could have taken life at a much easier pace and set themselves up for pleasure and comfort. But that wouldn't have been putting God first in their lives. Then there's the couple that began a business. It was a business that they wanted to run according to values and principles of God's kingdom rather than merely the ethos and the laws of this world. So when they were formally establishing their business, they they made the choice before God to not become a limited liability company. They said that should in the future their business struggle or, or fail financially as citizens of God's kingdom, that they wanted to be accountable for all their debts rather than limiting their liability to the normal practices of financial liability. Well, I mean, like their accountant and their lawyer, we may not necessarily agree with all they did or why they did it, and I'm not suggesting that the concept of limited liability companies is necessarily in conflict with kingdom values. But for this couple, putting God as number one priority actually meant a value judgment on how they planned to conduct their business. Not just the values of this world, but the higher values of God's kingdom. Then there's the couple who wanted to remodel their house. They uh, actually really needed to remodel their house. They had a a growing family and their, their home was quite tired and worn out. They had resources to do something and plans are being prepared. And at the same time, the church they were a part of was growing at quite a rate and was embarking on a new building program. And, well, one day they felt the Lord spoke to them through Haggai chapter 1, verse 9. My house remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. For this couple, as they they pondered and prayed about their plans to renovate their house, they came to the conviction that they should put God first. And so they decided to put their renovation plans to one side for a couple of years, and they made a sizable donation to God's cause. I could tell you about the Christian who put God first in her life before a relationship with a guy who didn't share her love for Jesus. She was truly fond of this person and could imagine herself married to him, but their passions, their ambitions in life, they were not the same. And it was extremely painful ending her relationship. And, well, her parents couldn't really understand why she was doing it, but she chose to put God first. Well, in closing, Carl Laney in his book, Marching Orders, tells of how in the Berlin Art Gallery there hangs a painting by the German artist Adolf Menzel. Uh, The the painting, though, is only partially completed. It was intended to show Frederick the Great, the 18th century king of Prussia, uh, speaking with some of his generals. In painting it, Menzel painted the generals and the background, but he left the painting of the king until last. He drew the outline of Frederick and Charcoal, (laughs) but then he died suddenly prior to finishing the painting. When it comes to the kingdom of God, 
Wouldn't it be an unspeakable tragedy if the painting of our lives revealed only a pale outline of our king rather than depicting him as the centerpiece of all our choices and ambitions for the future? If Jesus Christ truly is the Lord of our lives, let's unashamedly declare that truth as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Let's put Jesus first in everything. Thanks for joining us this week online. Come join us on Sunday mornings too if you're in Hamilton. Find out more about Hamilton Central Baptist Church and discover ways to get involved at www.hcbc.nz Join us again next week at Central Speaks.